Good morning, I'm Howard and welcome to the Friday Show, the show that thinks Barcelona trying to buy Bernardo Silva is like me initiating a hostile takeover of Manchester City using my copper collection. Uh, this is a hodgepodge show because it's the summer and all that, but as it turns out, there's plenty to talk about, I'm sure. So to help put the world to rights, I'm delighted to be joined by Ali and Harry. Uh, Ali, good morning, how are you doing? Good morning, I'm well, thanks. Yeah, and looking out the window, a beautiful day in Manchester, sun shining as it always does on East Manchester. Yes, it always does. <laughs> Let's make that quite clear. Well, I'm in a tent this weekend, so I've been, yeah, absolutely praying, well, to the rain gods to bugger off, basically. So, yeah, <laughs> nice to see some sun. Uh, Harry, how are you doing? Yeah, morning, lads. Yeah, I'm good. I, I, the weather has been really bipolar, though. I don't know if you've realised. Like, yeah. The other day, it was 20 degrees for a lot, a long time, and then just randomly started with this torrential downpour. Can't make its mind up. And I heard some thunder last night, just for two minutes, and then it was sunny. So, yeah. Just, just you know, more Manchester weather, basically. Yeah, so. exactly. Uh, I'm just going to start by checking in. Are you are you both enjoying the break from, I say, Domestic football, that is, has been international football. How are you occupying yourself, Ali? I've had a fairly intense week away from football, actually. I was, um, I was talking I was talking to Parliament on Tuesday, and then... Oh, yeah, as you do, yeah. As you do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I've had uh, various um, ramifications from that, and, and like furious conspiratorial uh, exchanges of emails, and, and trying to put the world to rights, uh, which is all good, but... Um, uh, it's probably just as well about something to distract me from football. But uh, the Nations League have been weird. Are we going to talk about that? If, we are, if, yes. Yeah. If we, um, if you'd asked me at any other time of year, when when should we put international football, I would have told you that by far the best time to play international football is in a summer where there's not a World Cup, stick them in a few weeks just after the end of the season when it's not getting in the way of anything and players get time to recover. Um, and it turns out I was just completely wrong because it's all felt like even more of a distraction and anticlimax uh, than usual with the Nations League this year. Probably in my case not helped because the Scotland-Ukraine thing going on was like a kind of a big a big climax to the season and then ended in disappointment, obviously, from our point of view. Um, and then after that, trying to play another game or, mm. or more games after that just feels such a waste of time. I think we all just need to be on the beach by now, let the players go, uh, and for God's sake, let's get this like, international... It's not even international break, what do we call it? An international... international Slug? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, international hangover. Uh, let's get this international hangover out of the way. Yeah, we are. Well, I mean, to be fair, the playoff, of course, should have been in March. Uh, but I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Circumstances, but yeah, that's still to then have to go and play Nations League immediately after. I mean, look, I, I take, uh, I take all my opinions from Kevin De Bruyne, the consummate professional, and if he says <laughs> the Nations League's a joke, <laughs> then, <laughs> then it's. A, I mean, paraphrasing yeah. it, but yeah, read between the lines. If he says he treats them as a friendly, then that's precisely what I'm going to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're about to talk about the Nations League, but just first, how are you, how are you finding the break from <laughs> domestic football? Are you ready for a new season yet? Yeah, or... it, it really made me laugh how Ali's talking about dealing with Parliament and the thing I've done is watch the Vitality Blast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> On YouTube for four days solid, yeah. Yeah, yeah, quite opposite ends of the of the spectrum there. No, it's, it's okay for me. I mean, I can't really live without sport for some reason. So like, yeah. just as a football season's ending, the cricket and rugby league season starts, so I can't really escape it in terms of watching it and consuming it and working in it. 
Um, so no, I've I've enjoyed watching other sports. It's took my mind off football somewhat. Um, I've sort of switched off from England. I sort of half watched the Germany game in the pub the other night, but mm. that was about it really. I I, I don't really want to sort of judge any player performances on these games that, no. like you said, De Bruyne said, don't really mean a great deal to them. Uh, yeah, I've t- obviously Lancashire doing well in the Vitality. Well clear at the top of the table. Beat Yorkshire. Uh, and that was I, an incredible finish. I that was an incredible finish. I thought it was a six. The cameraman missed it. I didn't even see it. <laughs> cameraman missed the ball, so... No, I thought it'd gone for six and they'd lost. Just uh, going to chip in at this point as well. Like when it would have been last Thursday of the uh, the uh, the Jubilee Bank holiday, um, I had a big load of plans to do gardening and loads of useful things with a couple of days that I had to myself. Um, got up, started watching the test match fairly early on the Thursday, and was just glued to it for three and a half days. Mm. And I, oh no, absolutely cracking game of cricket that was. So yeah, well, uh, good things about the summer uh, yeah. cricket's back. You're in luck, yeah. New test match today. In this. I know, yeah. yeah. There goes today and this weekend. I spent most of that test match slagging England off. I knew one. So. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure how. So, And uh, New Zealand captain's got COVID switched on there. So it's a shame. Oh, but, has yeah. he? Uh, yeah, I think so. Oh, yeah. I've not seen that this morning. This morning, Oh, yeah. that's big. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's weird, yeah. Ali, Ali's talking to Parliament. Uh, with last, I think the last podcast I did with uh, Asan... And Chris, I was like, offline, I was like, uh, you know, nine o'clock, okay, for the podcast. And I was like, yeah, they're both saying, oh, uh, Chris was saying, I've been to the gym. Uh, this was at half seven. And, and Ace, I said, yeah, yeah, I'm just going out for a run now, then I need breakfast. And I'm sat in bed at the time, wondering if it's too early to have an ice cream. Because <laughs> I knew I had three magnum ice creams in the freezer. <laughs> And the only reason I didn't have one is I couldn't be asked getting out of bed, to be honest, until we did the podcast. So, <laughs> so yeah, that's my week. That and a bit of cricket and watching the Germany match in the background because the Hungary match last week, oh, my God. I, honestly, it would cure insomnia. It was just... Players don't care, do they? And no. we'll, we'll link that into the Nations League, Ali, because today, I think, would have been the day that the World Cup starts. If, oh, wow. Yeah. If it had been in somewhere uh, where it's not 100 degrees in June. So, obviously, it's the decision itself has been discussed for years, but how do you feel about this now? This this was a day where, you know, as I say, opening ceremony, we could have the first match. And what do we have instead? These Nations League games that no one really cares about, even if it does pair up for good matches. England... Germany, England, Italy, played at another time, would have been quite exciting. But of course, played now, it just feels like we're wearing the players out. Uh, how Have you changed, have you warmed at all to the idea of a Winter World Cup in Qatar, or is it still problematic for you? I, I, I'm, I've never warmed it at all, actually. Um, where to begin? Uh, <laughs> yeah. You I, have I 20 think, minutes, off you go. I know. Sticking, sticking the World Cup in December, in the middle of the football season, just on its own terms, leaving aside all other issues, just stopping the Premier League and, and you know, the the um, the leading football leagues around the world in order to just send everyone off to World Cup in, in the Middle East um, is just insanity. Uh, it's going to cause absolute chaos for the season. Um, mm. Players are going to come back in January or whatever, and everything's going to be like out of whack. Um, 
players are going to come back injured, exhausted, mentally exhausted, whatever happens. Um, and when we come to the end of the next Premier League season, I can pretty much guarantee you we're all going to be saying, oh, is it really weird and rubbish season because the World Cup just messed everything up. Um, so I don't think we can get away with that. Uh, and also the way it's been compressing schedules uh, on either end. One of the reasons we've got so many National League games going on uh, at this time of year yeah. is because all the international breaks you know, next year have been moved and moved around. Um, I, think so, one, yeah. I think there's one international yeah. break, but I yeah. assume that's two friendlies. Well, it would have to be. I mean, yeah. Yeah. and and you know, if you're international managers, then you know you've got to get your team together and like, have the occasional warm up match or whatever it is as well. You can't yeah. just go into a World Cup without any uh, any game from months ahead of it. So yeah, that's that's understandable. Um, but then, of course, the weather. I mean, even in December, the the, the it, there's a decent chance that the uh, the temperature is going to be almost unplayable. Um, and then, of course, the, you know, how many. Hundreds of people have died building stadiums for Qatar yeah. uh, in order to play a World Cup there. Uh, so, I mean, we know why it's been done. It's because uh, FIFA and the other footballing authorities want to uh, milk as much money as they possibly can uh, the extremely wealthy people in Qatar. Uh, and that is what elite football is all about now. And, and we, we know all about that from the every imaginable perspective. Um it's still a World Cup, and when it gets a bit closer to it, I will you know, continue to be interested and even not as excited I would have been if we'd been there. But uh, I will, I will be there raising a cheer for Wales. Well done, Wales! While we, while I remember to say that, um, and yeah, it, I will enjoy it when it happens, and I hope we get some good games out of it. But it's not how things should be. Hmm. Can I just stick with you? Uh, sorry, Harry. Uh, hmm. I think it's a question you'd be, good, yeah, uh, very good for you to answer. How do you? F- we find a lot of people arguing on Twitter, of course, with journalists. Do, do you find it totally acceptable the football journalists' uh, you know viewpoint that they must go to Qatar themselves uh, to report on this World Cup? That that's an interesting one because I think the only reason it becomes an issue is because of all the things they've written about Qatari or, or not so much Qatari but uh, Gulf state influence in football. Um. The way I, I'm probably going to have to go back a back a point or two in, in the uh, in the debate. Um, I think we have to understand first of all that elite football is absolutely up to its eyeballs in global capitalism. Mm. It's, it's just it's about money. It's about corporate business. It's about you know the 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 wealthiest people in the world moving their money about and trying to make themselves more wealthy with football at the hub of it in in a variety of different ways. Yeah. Very um, political as well, in a way. Of course, it is. It's brilliant. Yeah. Power yeah. struggles, but yeah, exactly that. Where, you know, whatever money goes, power goes too, and whatever yeah. power goes, politics goes. You know, the, these things are are. Yeah, it's not even that they go together; they're all actually the same thing when you when you delve down into it. Um, so, uh, football is awash with uh, filthy corporate, you know, billionaires' money. Um, a large part of that is money that is now based in uh, the Gulf states and the Middle East. Um, why? Because over the last 50, 60 years, we in Europe and our uh, opposite numbers in America and around the world have given all of our money to the UAE and the Saudi Arabia because we wanted to buy all their oil. 
That is why they are so rich, and we should never lose touch of the fact that the reason these people have got trillions and trillions of dollars stored away with nothing to do with it is because we've given them it all, because we wanted the royal so much. So I, I struggle to say that the money that they are now trying to spend in our cultural economy, which includes football, um, that, that that's filthy money that, that shouldn't be in the game. Well, was it filthy money when we gave it to them for their filthy oil? At what point does it become filthy? At what point do these people become uh, so evil and and dictatorial and and uh, such you know, terrible abusers of human rights that we won't do business with them? It wasn't when we wanted to buy their oil. This this only seems to come in, uh, and it's certainly not when we want to sell them our fighter planes and our missiles mm. uh, for them to wage the wars that at least some of these states are involved are, are engaged in at the moment. Um, it only ever becomes an issue when uh, they're investing their money in our football clubs, or now it turns out our golf tournaments as well. Um, so. There's an awful lot of rank hypocrisy around this issue within the media. Um, but, now, but us as fans, I, I'm, I'm not here to stick up for football journalists. I'd absolutely hate, not. I'd no, hate no, you no, to sir. think that, but let's be honest, we're being ridiculous saying they should boycott going to Qatar. Well, yeah, that, that, this brings me on to my point that, that um, of course, when uh, Qatar, I mean, in this case we're talking about Qatar, but we could be talking about any of the Gulf states that are involved in football. There's a lot of other Gulf states that aren't yet really involved in football, but probably will be soon. You know, wait for Bahrain to arrive in the scene and you know, others mm. will, will come too. Um, it, it is utterly nonsensical for us to think that we can uh, engage with this money and, and these power brokers when it suits us and then turn the tap off uh, when when we don't like the associations. Um, so if we're going to have a World Cup in Qatar, then yes, of course, football journalists have to go there and they have to cover it. Um, if we're going to have uh, economic and business and corporate relations with Qatar, uh, Abu Dhabi, Saudi Arabia, all these other states, uh then we then once we've got these relationships, then we have to live with them, um, and part of that is our media engages with it, um, and part of it is as well as us investing. I mean, the the British economy, British British uh, billionaires, but British corporations, British uh, uh, institutions and corporations are investing massively in uh, Dubai and Abu Dhabi and, and these, the same places that we're talking about. Um, if you, you know, I've got a friend who uh, works in international art fairs for a living. She puts on international art fairs. That's mm. what she does. Um, pretty much all of her work is now in Dubai because that's where all of the world's money is. And it's not Arab money she's talking about. It's Japanese money and Chinese money and American yeah. money and British money and French money and German money. And all of that money is, is, is sloshing about in Dubai uh, needing to get spent. And that is that touching football as well. So when we have got this incredibly interlinked web of money and power and influence and, and corporate shenanigans, um, the idea that you can just pick any one part of that out of it and isolate it and say, ah, but this is unacceptable, is nonsense. So the issue is not about football journalists going to 
the UAE, uh, going to um, Qatar for the World Cup, which obviously I have to do. The, the issue is about all the nonsense that is talked by the same journalists all the rest of the time when they're not actually themselves going to Qatar. And of course, we, you know, we've mentioned this before, but by far the most obvious example of this is journalists from the independent. I won't even name one in particular. Um, <laughs> But journalists in the Independent talking about the filthy oil money that, that's corrupting football when the Independent is very largely owned by golf money. Um, and to, and as a, yeah, again, I said before, if, if my if I was the uh, yeah absolute monarch dictatorial ruler of a Gulf state and I wanted to um, wash my human rights record, I would not buy a football club, and I would not sponsor a golf tournament, what I would do is I'd buy a newspaper. Yeah. That's how you actually influence the agenda. That's how you actually clean up your human rights record. As Um, as we've seen in the wider world, yes. Well, of course. That's exactly how you do it. That's exactly how you would do it, and that's exactly how they do do it. Um, So so the issue is is not about journalists going to Qatar for the World Cup, which, of course, they were always going to do, and they always will do. Uh, The issue is about the nonsense they speak about about, uh, uh, golf money in football all the rest of the time. Um, And I think I'm I'm absolutely, I've got no problem whatsoever in people dragging football journalists over the coals on Twitter or social media or whatever else they are um, and exposing that hypocrisy and a good way of exposing it and saying, well, if you, know, if you think that you know we shouldn't be doing business with Qatar and with Abu Dhabi and with Saudi Arabia, why are you going there? Why are your employers paying you to go over and spend a month in Qatar following the World Cup? That's a perfectly legitimate question, but only because of all the nonsense they've spoken in the yeah. past. Does that answer your question? Oh my god! What was my question? What was my question? <laughs> anyway, I need I need a good copy. So uh, let's lighten <laughs> things up. Having dragged uh, Ali into the world of geopolitics, <laughs> uh, Harry is Gareth Southgate shit. <laughs> I love how Ali can give this segue really of all time there, Harry. Bro. <laughs> intelligent points, and then I'm just England. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I don't no. really don't uh, yeah, look, getting back, getting back. Thanks, Ali. No, that was a, a great answer. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, I think it started with yes, the World Cup should, could have started today, but we're playing Nations League instead. Mm. And one of the topics that also I say it was a hotchpotch show. Uh, one of the topics I also want to look at is Gareth Southgate again coming under the microscope. I think because Hungary terrible game. Mm. Uh, England were terrible. Germany, we got a draw, but let's be honest, we weren't very good. Now, caveat for me, these games don't tell us anything because of what we've yes. already said. Plonked right at the end of the season, players going off injured, players knackered. But you can still, from these games and how Southgate talks afterwards, you can still take, you know, you can remind yourself of how he works. And look, this is a guy that's been. Very close to winning the tournament. Penalties, of course. But personally, I still don't think he's a very good manager. I think he's been absolutely brilliant off the field. But on the field, during matches, I just do not rate him that much as a manager. And I think it's the strength of our squad that's taken us as far as it has. How, how There's caveats, of course, that you don't get the world's best managers generally managing international size, but how do you yeah. feel about Gareth Southgate as we now go through the summer and with, yeah, mm. it won't be long until that World Cup uh, arrives in the middle of the season. Do you have faith in him that he's the right man for the job? Um, That's a big question. 
I'm not going. I'm not going to lie, and I think I think you're right. You struggle to slag off a manager who's got us to the semi-final and then a final of back-to-back major tournaments in itself is a massive achievement. And I do massively agree that off the pitch, he's been fantastic for everyone. Um, But I suppose maybe you compare it to past sides and the way they've got on with each other, and and the reason they haven't won anything is because they didn't really get on with each other internally in terms of players mm. and there was little clicks and stuff. And every time you hear from one of these England players, they say what's great about the team at the moment is that everyone hangs out with everyone. There's no clicks with clubs. Uh, so there's no clicks with Sterling's Ascom. not slapped anyone recently then. So. In the <laughs> oh, don't bring that back up. Please don't bring that back up. Um, but I don't know. I mean, like you say, I, Everyone wants an overreaction. Uh, and of course, everything is so uber-focused on England at the moment because nothing else is going on. And and I struggle to to make any judgments from these games because players have openly come out and said they're not asked about them. You know, they've just had a long, hard season. I mean, the Liverpool players in particular have played every single game possible yeah. this season with club. And, and City are not far behind that in terms of the amount of games that they've played. So I struggle to to make any judgments from this. But if you want to obviously play devil's advocate, uh, you know, against Germany, his substitutes made the difference. You know, Grealish and Bowen were were positive and, and ended up sort of getting England back on the front foot and we ended up winning the penalty from that. So I suppose that shows both sides of it. Whether I think he's good enough to actually win us a major tournament, I don't know. I mean, I mean, this is going to be a big tournament for him because obviously we've been slowly building and slowly building. I think they might have aimed at this tournament as a, a potential one for England to win. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it just depends how we go in this one for me uh, because I struggle to judge him on Nations League games. I prefer to judge him on big tournaments and in big tournaments, the England side have shown up and have lost on minor, minor details. I mean, in the World Cup, we didn't concede a goal, uh, not the World Cup, sorry, the Euros, we didn't concede a goal from open play. We conceded mm. from a free kick, we conceded from a corner and then obviously the fine margins of penalties as City fans know that, you know, that can go either way. Uh, so I struggle to judge him unless it's on a major tournament so this one will be a big one for me uh, in discovering what I think about him to be completely honest mm. I mean as a complete neutral in this uh, what are your <laughs> thoughts on Southgate in England I did see a fair point yes it's it's a loaded squad full of quality but someone said join the Germany match yeah but there's no one like Kimmich or Gundogan in Gundogan was a class above mm, in that yeah. match on, yeah, on the pitch so Please stay, please stay. Um, uh, <laughs> to be fair, yeah, to, to defend Southgate, he doesn't have some. He doesn't have players that can really dictate the tempo much. Uh, possibly, in, I mean, in he, game. He, so I'm just wondering what you, what do you think of him? I think mean, under him, and yeah. also just what he said about the likes of Grealish afterwards and <laughs> a bit of criticism in the public. You know, do we overreact when he does something like that? Has he got a fair point? Do you think? Uh, if you're asking, do English people overreact to everything that happens regarding the England <laughs> football team? The answer is always yes. Uh, I, knew we, I knew we could have impartiality. <laughs> um, beyond that, no, I think I, I don't think we should underplay the fact that England are currently enjoying their most successful t- period as an international team uh, for, I mean, arguably ever, but certainly for sixty years. Um, 
And that's not something to be sniffed at. You know, mm. it, it, they're doing remarkably well. I mean, obviously the tournaments particularly, um, but actually, you know, the, their performances in qualifying and in Nations League and everything else all the way uh, has actually been really good. Um, when we talk about what makes a good manager, I think it does require different qualities at international level to club management. Um, you can't do the kind of intense, tactical, uh, finely tuned cogs in a machine type of work that Pep Guardiola does with an international side because you don't have them often enough to drill mm. them in, in the type of tactics you need. Uh, so a different tactical approach is needed. But actually, I think when we talk about Southgate off the pitch, um, I know, you know, the what he does with the media, the, the kind of interviews he's given about racism and stuff like that, and, and his whole the, the the PR side of the job, the kind of uh, ambassador for for England as a country and as a uh, footballing uh, nation, has been really good. But I think the 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 stuff with the team that is not directly about footballing tactics are really incredibly important. Um, and we quickly glossed over the, the incident with uh, Sterling and Gomez, wasn't it? Um, and I think it's actually really significant that there was that flare-up when was it three, four years ago now, probably? Um, and he dealt with it instantly. I think you know, both of them got sent home, or suddenly got sent home. Um, there was the uh, instant in Iceland with uh, Phil Foden and, and what's he called from United, the, the, the one we don't talk about anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah, another he shall not be named. He who shall not be named. Um, uh, that was dealt with quite quickly, kind of yeah. dispatched. Um, and then they, they got back together and they got past it and, and there were no lingering bad feelings as far as I can tell and Harry's absolutely right that I think there's there's a really strong squad like togetherness and and, uh, and no cliques and, yeah. and and factions within the dressing room and that is uh, that's a quality of management that you know that's something that the manager produces and, and, and controls or should at least theoretically um, and it's something that Southgate has got in spades that you know, most other England managers certainly this century haven't had. You probably have to go back to you know Bobby Robson or somebody to to find that kind of togetherness in the team. And even then, Southgate has produced results that that put Robsons or Venables or whoever else into the shade. Uh, so his achievements really are quite um, impressive, and and I don't think we should shy away from that. Um, having said all of that, I did laugh the other day. Um, when he was asked about Jack Grealish and basically said, yeah, well, Jack Grealish is very talented, but he, you know, his tactical, <laughs> he, he needs to up his tactical game. As, uh, I can't remember that for his EUs. <laughs> it's the war. Defence. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and obviously, and presumably what he means is tracking back. Tracking um, back, yeah. I mean, it, it probably is as simple as that, you know, like, you know, coming back and doing the uh, doing the donkey work in, in helping the defence. Um, and there's probably yeah, nothing... Uh, particularly magical and the kind of tactical uh, nous that he wanted from Grealish and, and it was something as simple as that. Um, but fair play to him. Um, he, he gets performances out of Jack Grealish as well. Um, and I, I think England is in a really good place and a large part of that is about the strength of the Premier mm. League and a large part of that is the, the work that has been done by Pep Guardiola Pep Guardiola, to a lesser extent, probably Jurgen Klopp and other managers who are you know, 
in the uh, in the Premier League at mm. the moment um, because these are players with quite astonishing technical gifts and and highly polished footballers um, who are playing week in week out at a level that uh, the the golden generation of the nineties or other you know previous uh, England teams were probably never quite playing at. Um, you know, the, the, when we had a team with Beckham and Gerrard and Scholes and you know the, all of those back in the mid to late nineties, um, that team uh, were playing in a Premier League, which was significantly weaker than the Spanish league, and was probably still significantly weaker than Serie A yeah. at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, when they went out to play international football, they encountered players from Spain and Italy and, and from around the world who were actually accustomed to playing football at a higher level than the England football players were. That is no longer true because the Premier League is basically the best league in the world now by, and by some considerable distance. Um, so when these players go out to, to face Germany, uh, there are no particular shocks for them. They're, they're, not, you know, they're not caught off guard by just how how talented and, and skilled these German players are, um, because you know they they come across Okai Gundogan every week, um, and I think that's a large part of why England is doing so well. Um, and you know, and it is we we talk about you know how golf money is killing football, or how Manchester City are killing football, or how Manchester City are killing the Premier League, and we hear these conversations all the time. When I say we talk, <laughs> I don't necessarily mean us, but the, uh, the, uh, the, the British media. Um, we have these conversations, and yet nobody seems to acknowledge just what the, you know, the power of the Premier League is doing for English football. And I think England have got a genuinely decent shot at winning the World Cup in December. Yeah, um, if it's and not I'm, too hot. <laughs> if, if it's not too hot, but yeah, even if it is, you know, it's going to be hot for other teams as well. Who knows what will happen? Um, yeah. but, Ali, um, Ali, just imagine yeah. Scotland being there. <laughs> <laughs> I was just, just going to say, Scotland right? Fans being there. Yeah. <laughs> you just mentioned that team right in the past. You know, like you say, Gerard, Lampard, mm. Scholes, Beckham, etc. They were all world class talents, yeah. right? How many world class talents do you think Gareth Southgate's got at his disposal now? Question, That's honest a- question. I mean, I, I think Kane is a world class class striker. And yeah. um, we didn't when we talked about uh, England not having a Gundogan on the pitch. To be fair, Phil Foden had COVID and wasn't there this week. Um, I think yeah. when Phil Foden delivers for England, which he hasn't always done, and I'm absolutely convinced he will and will do soon, um, I think you will see a, a, a player on the pitch who is genuinely, unarguably world class. Um, and. I mean, I think it's possibly not so much that uh, England have got 11, like... Okay, I'm going to answer your question in a different way, Harry. I think the honest answer is that the England players of that generation, Beckham, uh, Schools, uh, Lampard, all the rest of them, were not quite as close to being world-class then as the English media considered them at the time. Um, I think there were actually better players around Europe, quite a lot of better players around Europe at that time than those players who were in the England team. I think there was a there was an inflated sense of just how good those players were. I mean, make no mistake, they they were brilliant. They were you know, some absolutely fantastically talented individuals. Um, but at a time when there were you know just incredibly talented individuals with France and with Spain and you know, whoever the top teams were at that time, um, so you know when you if you were to put together a list of 
the I mean, how, how many do you want to consider to be world class? You know, like the, like the top twenty outfield uh, players in the world. Yeah, how many depends of on the, the top, definition as well. Yeah, so, I mean, how many of the top twenty players in the world would be English um, right now? Well, arguably Foden, arguably Harry Kane, uh, positioning it, arguably John Stones. Might Thank you. Sneak I was, in when you got <laughs> I was waiting for that. That's all I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> Just, just mention John Stones, then we can move Yeah, I know, they were happy. <laughs> a uh, John might, Stones, yeah. You might find there's three or four, but I doubt you'd find there's many other uh, countries in the world that have got more than, got 11, than yeah. three or four yeah. at the same time. So you know, there, there's not a concentration the way there was like at, at the time when Spain uh, were were like dominating world football, just you know, slightly after the era we're talking about. Um, the, you know, you you could look at the the World Cup when. Was it 2006 kind of time, around about then? Um, and I bet, uh, oh, I don't know how many of the, the you know top 20 players in the world would have been Spanish or French at that time, and it was probably most of them. Um, so it's about where the concentrations are, um, and I don't think there's any other country in world football that has got a notably higher concentration of top, top, top talent than England has. Do you agree, Harry, yeah? Uh, well, I, I suppose that kind of killed my overarching point, but my, my point was that just, you know, they they had a much better squad back in the day and, well, much better players back in the day and, you know, Southgate is producing much better results than that team did with their series of managers. So I suppose, you know, the improvement is massive plus the harmony in the squad on top of that. And the other point is, if you were let Southgate go tomorrow, who would replace him? I, I really mm. don't know. I, I can't think of anyone who's, you know, like you said, Ali, all the top managers, Guardiola, Klopp, you know, etc. Ancelotti are all tied up with clubs and are going to be so, there for the long term. Yeah, someone like you know, Potter might be. Over? Someone like Potter might be good, but of <sighs> course he might have no interest whatsoever in doing international football. You can't, you know, this is uh, real life. You can't just say, "Oh, give it to Potter." Yeah, he might yeah. be very happy where he is. Thank you very much. It's like there's always Big Sam with his 100 percent win rate. Of course, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, most. Well, I mean, but I think the key issue here is what. Do international managers do most days? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I don't think know what they do. It's a very different job and a very different challenge. So it's, it's that not thing about easy being to an name names, is it? So. Yeah. That thing about being an ambassador for the country and an ambassador for the footballing nation, uh, which Southgate does so very, very well, yeah. that's the yeah. thing we overlook. And that's where I'm not sure who else would, would step up to do the job. But um, I think England are probably in a better place having Southgate than they could, uh, probably than they appreciate. Okay, well, let's move on because, uh, yeah, before we run out of time for other stuff, uh, let's back to England. City, are they in a good place? Uh, I was looking forward to pretty quiet summer, having sealed our striker deals nice and early. Uh, one of the most exciting transfers of my lifetime, I think, of course, and Erling Haaland. And all of a sudden, I mean, this is exactly what happened last summer, and it was all just smoke and mirrors a lot of the time. Harry, Bernardo Silva's refusing to uh, commit to talking right. about his future while the internationals are on. There are talk, Jesus is probably already got, uh, probably going. Raheem Sterling apparently is going. Uh, Zinchenko's going. With the last one out, please turn off the light, etc. Yeah, are you I a bit anxious about uh, the situation in the transfer market? Because... Obviously, City will probably replace people that go out, but Bernardo Silva leaving is just irreplaceable in a way. 
And you don't want a huge turnover anyway in any summer, especially a team that's so settled and a squad where, to be honest, there is not a single player I would like to leave. I would actively want to leave. And I can't, I've never said that before in 40 years of supporting City. Are you anxious yeah. at all about all these many rumours or do you just just yeah, do you just ignore most of them? Yeah, well, first of all, with the, the Bernardo Silva stuff, I'm very hesitant to make any comments on it un- until I see the actual interview with him in video because they, these sort of newspapers have a way of twisting words to make it sound like he mm. said something that he's not. It's done it in the past. They did it with Pep last season uh, when he had that interview and he had to come out of the press conference and basically say, yeah, they've, they've basically twisted my words to make it sound like I'm leaving when I'm not. Um, yeah, but I, as you say, if, if we believed everything we read, we would be left with nine players. Um, am I anxious to lose Bernardo Silva? Yes, purely because what has changed for him over the last 12 months, I suppose lockdown's been lifted, so he's been yeah. able to travel more. But was his situation purely down to how he was feeling in Manchester? Obviously, there's conflicting reports on that. Uh, he's been more settled in the team. Obviously, he got voted in the PFA team of the year last year. Uh, he's the one, obviously, out of the, the ones that have been linked to where you'd want to lose, uh, want to lose the least, uh, because I think a player like you say of his quality is completely uh, unreplaceable. Um, but yeah, we're, I think the key point to remember is we're not a Monaco side. We're not going to sort of just lose all our key players or a lot of important players in one window. City will have a plan whether it is replacements lined up already or whether these rumours are just rubbish and a few of these players are going to stick around. My guess is that a few will leave. Obviously, it looks like Jesus is more than out the door at the moment. Uh, maybe one more leaves um, would be my guess with, with with one or two coming in, like the chairman said. Uh, but I, I don't. I certainly don't envisage, envisage, envisage a situation where City's board allow four or five players to leave in the mm. same window without having four or five direct replacements lined up. Plus, it just completely disrupts the dynamic of the squad a little bit. You know what I mean? New well, players got to get used to each other. I think that's my original point. The huge turnover changes dynamic, doesn't it? Because mm. Bernardo Silva's... You know, you could, you could swap it for Frankie Dion, but Bernardo Silva's been here for years. Is utterly implanted into Pep's system and Frankie Dion has to learn that. You know, even if Frankie Dion becomes a world-class player, you don't want to swap those two players, do you? So, Yeah, yeah come back to that, that conversation me and you, Howard, had the other day about Edison, right? When everyone was desperate to, to replace him. You know, if you bring a new goalkeeper in, it's going to take him three or four years to get used to how Pep wants to play. It's exactly the same outfield, getting used to his patterns of play. You know, there's a reason why players who come in take one or two years to bed in before we see their real quality uh, by the few exceptions because it takes time to adapt to pep systems they're totally unique um and each player adapts in a different way so if you if you have a massive turnover that it will affect performances and i just don't want Bernardo Silva ever to leave though. of course let's yeah. let's cut right to the chase here. He's, uh, we're in a good situation with his contract though aren't we so yeah i mean yeah it's, it's not one of the ones with one year left on his contract ali are there any of these rumours, are there any that really would devastate you if they left? Would you know, you'd be gutted if any of the players linked to a moves away left left this team during the summer? And the one I would be most devastated about would be Bernardo. Yeah. Um, and he's the one I think least likely to happen because I think what uh, Pet and the, the club are doing at the moment uh, is saying, okay, you want Bernardo? Okay, 100 grand. Um, that's exactly the way to deal with it. Uh, because grand. that's that. 
100 billion. Typical city bending over for Barcelona. <laughs> Tell you what, and it, would, it would still take Barcelona two years to pay that 100 grand as well. Oh, God. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll just go get myself another cup of coffee and wake my brain up. Uh, yeah. 100 million. I'm not quite sure where that Do you think they would, um, though? Do you think they'll. I mean, some, I mean, some the, blues I, I just have it in for cheeky yeah. and whatnot. Oh, we'll just bend over. If players want to go, we let them go, and it'll be some bargain deal for someone. I think. I think the hundred million thing is doing is serving two purposes. It's telling Barcelona yeah. to go and take a hike first of all, basically, because mm-hmm. we all know Barcelona do not have hundred million pounds to spend. Oh, hundred thousand, uh, yeah, or even they, they, they had barely a hundred grand. It's true. Um, they definitely don't have hundred million to spend on a midfielder. Um, and so, you know, that that's the subtext there. And, but I think there's probably also a subtext to Bernardo. Um, it is Pep in the club saying, look, this is how much you're worth to us. This is how valuable you are. And the, mm. the love that uh, Pep and Manchester City have been pouring on Bernardo over the last couple of weeks is unrecognisable from what was happening this time last year. When there really was a sense that the club would have been quite happy if anyone had offered 40, 50 million, they could have, they'd have let him go. Um, Bernardo has since shown his worth, his true worth to this club and, and his true, you know, talent and, and ability. Um, and I think Pep is really quite determined to keep him. And I'm fairly confident that, uh, that he will stay. I think, um, yeah. I can't, I, I can't imagine, uh, all of the pieces coming together to to make the transfer happen exactly. um, yeah. Yeah. all of the others that are talked about uh i'm kind of at peace with i i think i would be uh, i'm i i i i'm totally at peace with uh jesus going i think that's going to happen i think it's probably the right time for him uh, particularly with uh holland and alvarez coming in um it kind of makes sense that he would want a club where he's going to be you know a number one choice and, and playing football every week he's spent a long time kind of in the shadows slightly in the shadow of the city. Um, and I can quite understand that he would feel it's a time in his career when he wants to be a number one. Mm. Um, and that probably feels right to him. Um, Raz, I would be devastated to lose um, just because it feels like he's been part of my life and part of our club for so long now. And so he's been such yes. a huge building block of uh, of the, the Guardiola City project. Um, it would feel like a, a, a real landmark moment if he was to move on, I would be devastated if he was to go to Chelsea. Um, I would really hate that, and I very much hope it doesn't happen. Um, if he was to go to Bayern Munich or or, or uh, Real Madrid or something, then yeah, I'd be quite happy for him. I think. Um, but at the at the bottom of this, um, we have to understand that the Manchester City are about to go through something of a revolution in terms of what our team looks like, how we play. Um, how we set up, what players are needed, what players aren't needed. Um, the Haaland factor does change everything. Um, so if we are going to have to rebuild our squad and, and kind of you know do a significant overhaul and almost begin again as a slightly different football team, uh, then obviously this is the summer to do it. Um, and so it's not really surprising that a lot of players who've been here for a long time um, and are probably looking at the one big, you know, the one big move of their career. This would be the summer to do it. It does actually make sense that, that um, if we're going to change, you know, everything around, then yeah, let's change everything around and, and then have a season to bed in and and like uh, and then let it go quiet for a few years. But, but, but I think Bernardo Silva's mm-hmm. greatest moment, of course, 
Yeah, I don't want to disrespect him. Was the guard of honour? You've just <laughs> just reminded me. That surely Liverpool have to give us a guard of honour at the Community Shield, don't they? Is it, is it not the first game after we won the league? I think we should suggest it on Twitter. <laughs> it would definitely go down well. I'll, I'll put it in the tweet for the show. <laughs> One more thing I'll say about the transfer window, though. Is it just me, or does the whole rumour mill of the transfer window seem much more intense and a bit mental this year than it yeah, normally does? Because there's uh, no major tournament. I think that's why, why yeah. It's, it's like the, the, the devil makes work for idle hands to do, phrase, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, journalists have got nothing else to talk about, uh, so they're just rumour-mongering like mad about it, absolutely anyone and everyone that they could. Um, but I think to, to come back to, to Harry's entirely correct point earlier, um, there's no way most of these players are going out without other players coming in as well. So, you know, we if we accept, you know, we've got two major forward signings coming in, um, it's not unreasonable that we have a couple of major forward players going out as well that that's kind yeah. of how it works and and we know that pep doesn't like you know big unwieldy squads he likes a tight squad where everyone's getting enough minutes over the course of the season um he probably wants you know 18 or 19 outfield players top uh so yeah but yeah i think my concern is yeah the the worst time to have a tight squad is when you've got a world cup <laughs> well, that, yeah, that, that's straight true. in that, the that, middle that, of the season. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's absolutely a, a very fair point and, um, and, and quite true. Yeah. Uh, so, so anyway, time is defeating us. So can we end by getting outraged? Yeah, is that all right? Oh, always. Yeah. Always. Fuming, fuming. Uh, PFA <laughs> team of the year is out. <laughs> uh, Harry, are you outraged at three city players? Do you care? Should anyone care? Uh, our football is stupid I mean <laughs> most me of them can't break. even dress themselves so yeah. <laughs> our football is stupid should we even care do you think the players do anyway I don't know yeah from the, from the, the the looks of this voting no they don't care come on Thiago Ronaldo give me a break no Son and I mean yeah. we can be outraged as City fans for, for not having Rodri but Son 23 Premier League goals zero penalties the Doesn't... guy is invisible isn't he to yeah. most of the world <laughs> Include him in the in the PF. He didn't even in the, the the running for the the player of the year. No. Just absolutely ludicrous. And I mean, it, it probably shows. I mean, to be fair as well, um, and I love him to bits. And obviously, he's going to be one of the best footballers ever. But Phil Foden didn't deserve PFA no, Young so Player of the Year. Both ways, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, but so, who yeah. does though? I mean, I don't know if there's. I don't know what the well, I, I, I think these other players more... I think players lower down the league don't get a lot of love as well. I think Conor Gallagher's had a fantastic yeah, season. Exactly. Declan, yeah. Rice, Declan Rice, another one who, who wasn't in the PFA team of the year who could have quite easily gone in there as well. Uh, there's I, players I, I, that have been... You know, yeah, just, I don't know. There's some sort of criteria. At least give it to someone who's broken through or something. Yeah, you know? exactly. I don't know. No, but Rodri is the one, if you're looking at it from a City angle in, in the team of the year, his, his, his stats alone has been... Superb, and we from the eye test from us, we know how good he is and how big of a role he's had to fill with Fernandinho. Um, I think there was significant doubters of him in past couple of seasons, but this year he's put sort of all them doubters to bed. He's been superb in every single competition, and a big reason why we've won the Premier League. Um, but he was, you know, even stubbed for our own personal awards, so maybe he's just the most underrated player of the season, full stop. Yeah. I say, yeah, someone said on Twitter he's, he needs better PR, but he probably doesn't care, to be honest. So. <laughs> no. Two, two, yeah, yeah, two things here I think that stand out. I th- I suspect Premier League footballers don't watch much Premier League football. No. And there's a recency bias. They did this at the end of 
March, I think they put the, which is ridiculous. I mean, you can do, it's 2022, you can't send an email. This could be worked out by a computer in about 10 minutes, you know, at the end of the season. Uh, I assume Tiago was just having a good fortnight at the time and they went, oh, wait, he's playing well. He's a classy player. I'll vote for him because I think he only started 17 games. Yeah. And he'd only started about 11 by the, at the point that they were doing the voting. So yeah, these things always get us out of age, but there's, there's two obvious, as you've said, Harry, two ridiculous inclusions in that side. So it is what it is, isn't it? So yeah. As I say, it works both ways because of Phil Foden. So, uh, Ali, are you absolutely outraged? I mean, the three, the three <laughs> I, City players, by the way, that's fine. I don't yeah. think because you win the league, you should dominate. Yeah, there's 20 clubs right. in the league. I think three out of 11 is actually pretty good. <laughs> it's the fact that there's six Liverpool players building there as well that's more the problem. I am always much more reluctant to pan the PFA lists of the you know, player of the year and team of the year than I am the football writers because, uh, yeah, fair enough. I, mean, I, just, yeah, I, yeah. I completely agree with you. Say professional footballers probably actually don't watch our Premier League footballers, don't watch that much Premier League football. They probably watch less than we do. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, they, they're the professionals. They're the ones that are out there playing against these guys week in, week out. And who am I to tell them that they don't know what they're talking about? Uh, so, you know, like the PFA list is what it is. But generally with football awards, um, I think the, the interesting thing about the uh, the team of the year uh, is not so much that City have been underrepresented. I think Liverpool are massively overrepresented. That's the real problem there. Um, and the Ronaldo thing I kind of... I've said before, um, I think he's been both the the cause of and the solution to all of United's problems this year. Um, <laughs> and that's Homer Simpson's alcohol. Exactly, yeah, exactly what Homer Simpson <laughs> said on, about yeah. beer. Um, you know, he, he's been the main reason why so many of the players around him, their form has absolutely fallen off a cliff when you're talking about Bruno Fernandes and, and you know, Jim Sancho and so many other uh United players that had absolutely terrible seasons, and I think a large part of that was because they they backed out in the shadow of Ronaldo. Um, having said that, you know the amount of time Ronaldo produced winning goals and and you know, hat tricks and, and whatever for United over the course of the season uh, was quite remarkable and surprised me. And he did he did produce individual performances that I, I didn't think he still had in him. Um, so I can kind of understand how he ended up there. And also I can kind of understand how Thiago ended up there, not least because there were two City players on either side of him. And I can easily imagine lots of the players voting for these awards who went, right, who am I putting in my midfield? Well, I'm putting De Bruyne in, obviously. And I really like Bernardo Silva. Like, I'll put mm. him in. Well, I can't put Rodri in as well. Because that would be three city players, so you all know, put Thiago in, and, you know, and it, it may well have just been that kind of. Yeah, you don't sit down, do you? Think right, let's pick a DM. You know, exactly. don't do it like no, we do, right. where we and, and of course, and we all know, yeah. we all know that democracy produces like like perverse results in, in any context you happen to apply it. So this is why people shouldn't be allowed to vote on anything. You know? uh, so ah, uh, so they use but, the fir- they use the first past the post system, did they? <laughs> yeah, oh my god. We like. <laughs> Single yeah. transferable footballers. I don't know. Uh, however, it works. Um, the 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 final bottom line I would put on all of this is no, it absolutely doesn't matter. Um, and I think as City fans, the fact that uh, 
De Bruyne got the the uh, overall player of the year and the the writers player of the year and Foden was young player of the year. We can't complain too much. It's not like one of those years where we've just got you know they've totally taken the piss out of us. We've done okay. Um, and it, it, it's a bit of fun to, to give us something to talk about while we wait for the next season to come along. And talking of that, let's finish off just for a minute. Uh, the fixtures are out next week. Uh, <laughs> yes, we play everyone twice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> are you uh, sure? Even with this World Cup, is that definitely still happening? <laughs> uh, but someone said to me earlier this week on a podcast, don't know if it's you, Harry, that you look for Liverpool f- fixtures first. No, 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 no. It United wasn't you. Away. I can't remember who it was. So I just thought I'd finish with that question, really. Uh, has anything changed over the last few years? Start with you, Harry, then Ali. Uh, when the fixture list comes out next week, where do you look? What? Where are the areas you look at first? Yeah, the, the derby days, so when I know when to get my bunker ready in case City yeah. lose. Um, <laughs> apart, from, apart from that, I, I always look at the last game just to see if we're at home. Mm. We should be at home pretty much every year, but just to uh, just to make sure. But that's about it, really. Liverpool, of course, now is, is massively important. But with like scheduling and stuff and how deep City go into competitions, a lot of it just changes anyway. So uh, 99% of the time, the only one that you're guaranteed to know when you're playing is the first game of the season mm. because of TV changes and, and et cetera and how deep we go in competitions, like I said. So, so yeah, but United is certainly the one, particularly the one at Old Trafford. Just see when we have to go to that absolute hellhole, because um, no matter in what position there is, I'm still absolutely horribly nervous the night before any derby, the week yeah. before any derby. Actually, I don't, yeah, I don't have to comment on that. I think everyone knows my, my uh, situation. Uh, of course, yeah. So apparently, there there'll be no big games on the the last game day before the World Cup. They'll be organised so that. Or the, the top six, whatever that is, don't get each other. Has that been accepted now? I don't so know, but it, it makes sense. And I think the first game after it is Boxing Day, which is always one I look out for. Uh-huh. Uh, New Year, the Christmas schedule, yeah, there isn't really going to be one this time around. Uh, I always look at the the first game, of course, and I look at the running, just to see, you know, just to like generally as a whole to see if City, mm. if it's close, you know, and I. Like to compare it with our rivals just to see if the, and yeah, it's a big thing. It turned out to be an important factor this season as well. Uh, Ali, just one minute left. So, what? Sorry if uh, I'm rushing you, maybe two, three minutes. Uh, what about you? Is there a yeah. specific times of the season or clubs that you look, look out for more than anything? No, very, very similar. I, I look for the derbies, first of all. Um, but, but they're the only one that I yeah. actually look. You know, what's the date the fixture? Put it in my diary now. Um, beyond that, yeah, I'll, I'll check to see when we're playing Liverpool. Of course, I will. Um, but I really, what I look for is those little blocks of like four or five, six games that look really tough all together. Yeah. So, like, yeah, mm-hmm. I think this year would have appeared in like February when we played like pretty much all the top six in in fairly close succession. So I, can, I look for those little windows and just kind of little curiosities about it. And of course, I look for the run-in, um, what, the, what the last four, five, six fixtures will look like. Um, but no, I, I, I just kind of, you know, I have a glance at it and, and yeah. Uh, I might have a think about Christmas as well, but this year, you know, with the World Cup, everything is completely in, in the air anyway. So I, yeah. I don't know how I'm going to feel about it this year. I, I'm probably going to look at it and think, what the heck? This, this is a nonsense. What's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> and, and the answer will be, what's going on here? World Cup is what's going on here. Yeah, we yeah. covered that. Should we play bingo? What game week Jurgen Klopp moans about killing the players? I'm going to go as, <laughs> go as early as four this season. 
tomorrow. <laughs> no, four, mi- four minutes after the fixtures are out, maybe. You'll have a pre- pre-written statement ready Press to go. Press release, out. yeah. To be fair, Pep's done as well. And I, I mean, yeah, obviously, clock moans about anything like brass, wind, uh, stadium <laughs> size. Uh, but footballers are being flogged. It's, it's yeah, ridiculous. Of course, yeah. But, yeah. And of course, the other thing that happens almost immediately after the fixture list comes out is you can start picking your fancy football team. I'll be looking to see how, what, what price tag they've put in Holland. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, we're going to out big. Chris on this podcast, by the way. He's bottom of our fantasy team from last season and they were supposed to be a forfeit, but there seems to be none forthcoming so far. He's been, he's been hiding ever since, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. Well, I've been useless overlooking the fantasy football because, as usual, uh, I even we even did a draft system and no one's looked at it since then. <laughs> we did it on and I came second? <laughs> yeah, I know. So I think we're we're enlisting Loy to oversee things next season, listeners, and hopefully right. it'll be done professionally yeah. and not by me, who just looks at his team <laughs> once every seven months. I think while we're while we're filling in the weeks between now and uh, August the tenth or whatever it is, we uh, we really need an entire ninety three twenty podcast devoted to thinking up. Uh, names for our fantasy football team. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. We could do it after our cookery podcast as well. Right, time's defeated us. Ali, thank you very much for coming on. Absolute pleasure. Cheers, guys. Uh, Harry, thanks also. Yeah, nice one, mate. Uh, yeah, uh, thanks for listening, everyone. That was the Friday show. Have a great weekend. Uh, yeah, next week, loads more content coming. We are not stopping at all, in fact. We're doing more than ever. So look out for all our stuff on SoundCloud and on our player. Uh, Take care, everyone. Stay safe. And as always, up the blues.